Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning. Before I begin, I um, I was reminded about uh, something that happened in our city recently, and someone asked if we could pray for it, and I think it's a good time to do that. Um, There was a firefighter who was at work, and over the scanner or radio or however they do it, he had heard of a location, and it happened to be his home. His one child died, um, and soon after, his wife and two other children died. So we're talking about a man that is left without a family, um, that his profession is firefighting, and he couldn't save his own family, and I'm sure there is all sorts of feelings I can't even imagine, but I wanna pray for him and um, just acknowledge this tragedy before the Lord. Lord, I do wanna lift up this man. I don't even know his name, but you do. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, comforter, that you would be near him, with him. Lord, um, I can't imagine, but you understand our pain. You understand um, the difficulties that we face here. So Lord, I just pray that you would bring uh, good people his way, believers his way, and that, um, gosh, in this time of just such heartache, that he would know comfort, that he would, um, any sort of blaming, any sort of uh, false thoughts that might come into his mind, that um, you would just uh, stand in the middle of of him in those, Lord. Just be present to this man. And um, again, if there's any way we as a church or the church in general general can be uh, present to him, Lord, I just pray that those opportunities um, would come and that we would say yes. Amen. And thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Ah, so good morning. So proud of all of us that are here. <laughs> Everyone else, enjoy your sleep. No, um, we know that we are losing an hour and that if it does not affect you now, it will. Uh, probably in this next week, you'll be wondering what you're missing. Is it a child? Is it a, is it a favorite sock? No, it's, an, it's that hour. So just be aware that even if you don't feel it today, like some of us, you will feel it eventually. So we are in two seasons right now. Well, one is more of a month, not a season. It's Women's History Month. So this sweatshirt seemed appropriate. My friend John Barclay, isn't this great? I love this. And we don't seem to have a problem that I know of here with this, so. (laughs) I always like to push the buttons just a little bit. My friend John Barclay over at New Community, the one in Logan Square, uh, we had lunch the other day and he's like, he's wearing this all proudly. And he's like, I got one for you too. So I was like, next time I preach, I'm gonna wear it. So I just wanna say in recognizing that this is Women's History Month, I am grateful for the global history, the national history, my own personal history, whether it's uh, black women or women who have just been a part of my formation. I am grateful for the many women who have influenced me and also made it possible for me to stand here today. It is truly a gift. The other season we're in is Lent, the period of 40 days in which we as Christians remember the events leading up to and including the death of Jesus Christ, whose life and teachings are the foundation of our faith, as we know. So on this third Sunday of Lent, we are continuing in our series, Hunger and Thirst. We just heard the text read from Matthew 4. 
I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I read this passage or hear it, I'm always just a little baffled by the devil. (laughs) I don't know why. But my thinking goes something like, hey genius, Jesus could have any of those things if he desired them. Mere thought, snap of his fingers, poof, there it is. Why does the devil think he is allowed or can do this? And as I continue to sit with it and read from other authors and theologians, I come around and realize, yes, what I'm saying is true. Jesus had or has the power to make things happen, but he's not a magician. And that is not really the point of what I've read or become instantly annoyed at. Part of my wrestling with scripture is extreme aggravation. (laughs) There are moments where I'm talking at it. There are moments where I'm like, why did you do that? I make faces. It's just that part of process of how I question and read scripture. So this is one of those moments too where I'm just like, Satan, come on, this is, this, is, this is God's son you're talking to. But what is going on here? The text naturally breaks down into three sections because we read of the devil tempting Jesus with three temptations. However, before we look at those verses, um, the first two sort of set the whole thing up. Let me get some water. So as we read, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted brings out a bit of a side eye with me. A, wait, what? The Spirit is taking him where to allow what? Like all this is just this question of why is this okay? However, the word to be tempted actually translates as to be tested. One author I was reading wrote, there's a subtle but important difference. God tests, the devil tempts. God does not want Jesus to fail, the devil does. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to fast and to pray and to resist the forces that assault him during his mission. Having overcome them, he is ready for his journey towards the cross, end quote. So that insight helped me to better understand why Jesus is being led into the wilderness as opposed to going, Spirit, why would you do that? It's to be tested for this journey that is ahead. Those last three words of verse two, he was hungry, jumped out at me when I was writing the other day. I would guess that most of us don't function well when we're hungry. I know a lot of you. (laughs) And I'm thinking if we've eaten an average amount or a lighter meal in the day, by the time the next meal rolls around, we're hungry. Or using my eyes statements, I'm hungry. My stepdad would say he was hungry. Like he couldn't wait and he was actually eating the word, hungry. He'd say, T-Bird, I'm hungry. Like, okay, I don't know what that means, but okay. (laughs) And if you have any sort of physical ailment you're dealing with, food and water are important to have in your system before taking medication. We know this, right? I'm a newly diagnosed diabetic. I do feel sorry for myself most days. And I don't take medication, but I have to have food and water at the right time. Otherwise, there's suffering happening. That is imperative, that I eat, that I drink, the protein, etc. I think a lot of us, even if we don't have a diagnosis, need our food and water. If we don't have these important things, many of us experience shakiness, lightheadedness, palpitations, franticness, like some of us actually get frantic, becoming hangry, or other symptoms. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know I'm not the only one. Food and water are essential to our existence. 
After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Scientifically, what do we know regarding the body at this point? People have fasted this length of time before, we know that. The body can do it. I've read in many places that if it's done under the care of a doctor, it can be good for you. Let that sit in in your heads for a second, that for 40 days and 40 nights to fast can be good for you. Lord bless them. Regarding Jesus, there are questions that come to mind, and the internet had some opinions. You may wonder, did he really not eat the whole time? Because that was a question. Some people were like, oh, he foraged. I'm like, I don't know. Luke 4, 2b states, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The Matthew verse states that after fasting, he was hungry. I think there's our answer. Did he drink water? There are no other specifics beyond what I just read and everything else I have read stated that our bodies can't go more than two or three days without water. So most likely he did drink water in the wilderness. So without food, he would have been in a weakened mental and physical state. That's just the reality of our bodies. Perhaps not moving too much to conserve energy. He was likely spending time in prayer and meditating in the Lord's presence. Considering this weakened state that he was in was the perfect time for the devil to make his appearance. Jesus was hungry, and in a lot of ways, he was vulnerable. I think we all can dip into our imagination and think of times when we were not nourished physically or spiritually, and the temptations presented to us looked like truth and even justifiable when we gave in. On a physical level, if I'm hungry, and I know there is a bad food that is present, but it's the food available, I will start justifying. I'll go for a walk later. (laughs) I won't eat this other food instead. I've earned it after all. All these reasons and all the excuses feel right in the moment, because at that moment, I want it. It feels justifiable, it feels right, it's worth it. In verse three, the devil is referred to as the tempter. And he's exactly that. He reminds Jesus indirectly of who he is. The tempter says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I say indirectly because he says, if you are the son of God, and it's like, you know he is. Do you notice that if? Satan is aware of who Jesus is and he knows scripture. I like to think of this sentence as Satan was messing with Jesus. If didn't need to be added, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus replies with scripture. He speaks the words from Deuteronomy 8.3, where the Israelites are being reminded to not forget the Lord. They were led into the wilderness to be humbled and tested, to know what was in their hearts and to see whether or not they would keep God's commands. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. At this point, I imagine the devil is hard thinking about what's the next temptation gonna be. Because soon after, in verse six, sorry, five and six, he takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple and again uses if. If you are the son of a God, throw yourself down. Then the devil quotes from Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Because y'all, the devil knows scripture. This whole chapter is about the Lord being a refuge and a deliverer, a safe place, and one you could put your trust in. The devil knows this. That is the verse he uses. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you, 
and they will lift you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. All these temptations are bad, all three, but this one I found egregious. Throw yourself down, harm yourself, you'll be rescued. That the devil would sit there and tempt someone to bring harm to themselves in order to prove that, yeah, God will take care of you. It just, it, it's so disturbing. Well, Jesus knows scripture too. Quoting again from Deuteronomy 6, where Moses has just given the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel in the chapter before, and he's continuing to stress the importance of loving the Lord, following these commands, and reminding them of what God has brought them out of and where God is bringing them to. It's from the scripture that Jesus responds with, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So they're having this bantering back and forth. Jesus is like, I know what's going on here. And then the devil has one more temptation. Because sometimes the third time works. <laughs> I guess he thought it was worth it, I don't know. We know he's persistent in finding our weakness, thus he tries to do the same with Jesus, or thinking he's finding his weakness. Verses eight and nine, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. Like, hey, I know, the audacity. <laughs> it's like, I will give you this thing that really you can get yourself if you wanted, but I will give all this to you if you bow down and worship me. There's so much arrogance in it, but we, we, we've heard these voices at times in different, different ways. Jesus, in a weakened state, hungry, tired, dealing with this mess from the devil, responds with, away from me, Satan. And again, from that same chapter in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 13, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him only. Wow, I don't even know if in my own prophetic imagination, I could imagine this sort of interaction with the devil, like being in Jesus' position. That kind of persistence that he was using, that sort of knowing that Jesus was vulnerable, knowing that he was in a weakened state, the persistence to break him. Like I'm sitting there going, oh, I might have given in at those stones. <laughs> but to see Jesus really stand firm, even in a weakened state, and really relying on scripture is, is powerful. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Even Jesus needs encouragement and attending to. Isn't that, like I love that, like that human part that just is like, yeah, the angels came and they were the ones that attended to him. And I'm really hoping they brought some food. I'm not even gonna lie. I hope they fed that man because, wow, he just endured a lot. In these verses, we see how Jesus responds to these temptations, these testings. And it's easy for us to think, well, he is God's son, right? Like I kinda, there were certain parts of the internet, you know, when I'm looking up different speakers and scriptures, it's like, well, you know. And it's like, well, it's probably easier for him. He is God's son, this is true. But he was also fully human. And we know what cravings and desires and things come with being human. I can't for a second believe that this was easy. So when people say that, I'm like, no, 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 no. This, this was hard. I do believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, he set an example for us in this situation. And there is much that we can apply to our lives, even if we are never led into a wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, or even if we aren't without food for that long. So I saw three applications. You perhaps saw more and can 
point those out to me later or each other. Uh, the first one I saw is we know where we've come from. We know what we have been saved out of. However, we don't know what's ahead. We know where we've come from, the life that we lived before Christ. We know what he's done for us now. We don't know what's coming. So Jesus and Satan knew scripture. We know, we know that in their back and forth that, he, that they both knew scripture, that is obvious. Do we know scripture? Have you been in a time where knowing the word, having the word in your heart would have, might have made a difference to really be rooted in the Lord? I was a kid during the second half of the Jesus movement, born in 1975. Most of the scripture I had memorized is because someone made it into a song. I'm sure if I started singing and Becky was in the room, she'd be able to finish the song. There were just scriptures that we knew from someone putting it into a song. And there were many that I memorized. I don't know if I remember them all, but I remember quite a few. From Psalm 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 48, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Time and time again, I will confess I have been convicted to memorize the word. I know some, but to really know it, to really, in those moments where it's dark or it's difficult, or even just moments of praise, sometimes when you don't have your own words, it's like, well, there's a psalm of praise I can go to. But if you don't have it, <laughs> you can't go to it in difficult times. You can't go to it in worship. It is imperative for us to memorize the word for our own nourishment, for the edification of others. And because his word is alive and active, I have seen it provide comfort, conviction, words of praise, a sense of being grounded, and usefulness in fighting the enemy and all that might come against us. The word is powerful. I mean, there's more than once where I've been like, should we have a memorization club? I mean, seriously, folks. Because I think it's easy for us, or I'll go back to my I statements. <laughs> it's easy for me to at times just kind of relegate this book to, oh, okay, before a sermon, or okay, in seminary for a paper. But this is something that needs to be a part of our makeup. This is something that we need to ingest. The Word of God is not a book to add to our stack of books on the shelf, right? To collect dust. It is something that we need to take in as believers, that we need to hide in our heart. And that's something in this exchange that I think popped out to me right away was like, Jesus knew scripture and Satan knew scripture. Does Satan know more scripture than me? <laughs> like that reality was there. So for us, the challenge is really knowing the word, really applying the word. So I'm speaking to you all and I'm speaking to myself on this one. The second application, uh, is that the Lord will give us the strength to stand up to temptation and will be with us when we are tested. 1 Corinthians 10.13, I memorized this in, in Bible class years ago. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, womankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it or in another version that I love, so you can stand up under it. Can you imagine that for a second? The hope that is in that verse, that something that comes at you, that is a temptation, that is an area of struggle, you don't have to just go, well, here it is, and here I am, and there's nothing to do. No, God will provide a way out. His word says it, and if it says it, it's true. 
but are we also looking to his word? Do we have it hidden in our heart? Are we aware of the traps? Are we aware of ourselves enough to go, okay, I'm going down that road. He will give us a way out when the temptation comes, because you know what, folks? It's going to come. There's going to be some folks tempted today. We know it. This is just how it works. But the more that we're in God's word, the more that it's hidden within us, the more that we are walking in it, accountable to others in it, I think we'll see a difference. In my life, the one thing with, with temptation, like for me, my mouth gets me in trouble. <laughs> that one sarcastic comment, because it makes sense and it's right, and it's like, but the more that I'm walking with the Lord and the more that I'm really ingesting his word, there's that pause. Like, Tiana, you don't need to say that. That person doesn't need that. They need a word of encouragement or you need to walk away. <laughs> you need to get some prayer and then go back and deal. This is an important verse that I would say, if anything, today to memorize, 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. So we all are faced with this, right? But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So it's not gonna crush you, right? There's a way out. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it, or like I said, I love, stand up under it. Can you visualize that? This difficult thing, but yet God comes in because you've allowed him to come in and you're able to stand up under it. You're able to walk around it. You're able to not give in to it. That's a beautiful picture to me of what the power of God and the power of us saying yes to God in the midst of it. And then thirdly, the application I saw is at times we are in places of wilderness, right? I think it is a part of life for everyone. Whether it's a time of testing, there are times of just testing, a time of walking through difficult life situations, that's many of us at times, at times in the midst of suffering, uncertainty, God does not forget us or abandon us. So I wasn't sure if I was gonna put this story in, but I was uh, talking to my counselor the other day, so obviously I'm gonna add the story. And um, he had asked, I said at some point about God not abandoning me, and I know that, and I know for certain. He's like, well, in this other situation, you talked about feeling abandoned, so what made the difference? And I'm like, because even though that situation was hard and I wondered where he was, I said, really, on the whole, I've seen him be faithful. I have not seen him leave me. I have not seen him say, okay, good luck, Tiana. I gave you the skills. You do that. I said, I can believe him because he has been faithful. And even if now I'm struggling, I can look back and go, okay, he brought me out of that. Okay, he didn't abandon me here. That is such a beautiful place to be. And I believe that God is near us, with us in all that we do. And whatever it is for you, whatever wilderness, he is there as he was with Jesus. And Jesus indwells us. The Holy Spirit is here to comfort and give us discernment and guide us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Some of the last words Jesus said to the disciples found in Matthew 28, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us like he was with Jesus in the wilderness, like he is each and every day, he is with us, he is with you as an individual, even in the wilderness, he will sustain you, he loves you, and he is for you. Can you say that with me? He is for me, he is for me, he is for me, he loves you.
Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.